John Newton. That's the last thing I need. Maybe you've heard someone say that before and you know what they mean. They mean that whatever it is, it is not something they have any need for at all. Um, In fact, the last thing they need is often something they would hate to see happen. Here's a man, a professing Christian, a follower of the way, as they were known in that day during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Word has it that last night Nero illuminated his garden during a drunken feast with the bodies of Christians dipped in pitch, crucified and set on fire. And now his two sons have been picked up by a military dragnet that swept through their small Christian community. If they do not renounce their faith and burn incense before a pagan altar, they will be executed. That was the last thing he wanted to ever happen. Here's a 13-year-old girl who's been reputedly, uh, repeatedly uh, abused by her stepfather since she was 10. She sits in church and the minister begins to speak on the fifth commandment about children obeying their parents. And she thinks to herself, this is the last thing I need to hear. But in Revelation 19 and 20, God tells us about three things that we really do need to hear and understand. And though it was written long ago, it was nevertheless recorded by God specifically for that Christian in Rome. It was intended for that 13-year-old girl sitting in church. It was given by the Apostle John for you and I gathered here this evening. So, last Sunday, we looked... Well, actually, it wasn't last Sunday. It was Sunday the 11th. We looked at the last days. We're coming to a close of our study of the book of Revelation. And as we looked at the last day, they pointed our hearts to um, God's great mercy. And we looked at the last battle, which reminded us of God's glorious victory. This evening, I want to consider the last judgment, which speaks to us of God's perfect justice. So, please turn with me to... um, Revelation chapter 20, the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, picking up now with verses 11 through 14. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, the Bible describes here um, this um, in verses 11 to 14, this great, great white throne, uh, which is a sign of the final judgment that will occur at the time of the second coming uh, of our Lord, anticipated by Daniel in chapter 7, verses uh, 9 and 10, and in Matthew 25, and in numerous places in Scripture and in the Psalms. Um, The uh, throne represents God's power and absolute authority. Uh, What would it be like to to appear before a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God. When I lived in the state of Washington, Washington, central Washington state, I once visited a military installment, a military uh, station. And among other things I saw there, curiously, was a courtroom where unruly soldiers and those caught AWOL were brought. And everything in that room was calculated uh, to intimidate the prisoner. Um, it was a rough, no-nonsense uh, wooden structure with no benches for anyone to sit on. Uh, the judge's bench, that was there, uh, but it was raised high above the prisoner. And there was no provision for a lawyer or an advocate. The prisoner stood directly in front of the judge, shackled to a heavy metal bar. And there could be no doubt in that soldier's mind as he looked up, that this man seated in front of him with a black robe was in complete control and had complete authority over him. You can imagine yourself in that man's place. Before the throne of God, according to our text, all of mankind will appear. Those yet alive at the time of our Lord's return, along with the dead raised from the grave and from Hades. Think of Hades as a holding place for those who have died without Jesus and are now awaiting judgment. In other words, every man, uh, woman, and child, alive or dead, who has lived on earth, the righteous whose souls are with Christ and the wicked alike, and all of them with new bodies, gathered before this white throne, the throne of God. And some can hardly believe it. They had heard all of their lives, and somewhere in their heart they knew this was probably true, about this day of judgment. But they regarded it as nothing more than religious bunk and boogeyman stories. They refused to believe it. They laughed it to scorn. But now here they were, and filled with absolute and unspeakable fear. Listen to Revelation 6, 15 and 16. This is another cycle, another of the seven cycles, another account of the same event. Quote, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. People are reduced here to such 
of fear and terror as to prefer to be crushed and covered with rock and rubble than to stand before the face of God. But there's nothing to be done for it. So there they are, alone and, and angry and naked, but cowering before the holy judge, the Lord God, the creator of all man. There will be nothing else in the courtroom, nothing else in the room, not even a room. Earth and sky will have all fled away. The elements have been dissolved. The Apostle Peter describes it in his second epistle. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There will be nothing but you and God. And there will be no defense. There will be no arguments or bargaining. Everything will be incontestably, perhaps almost graphically revealed in an instant. Uh, self-evident, recorded in detail and in the books. Uh, the text tells us uh, in verse 13 that death and Hades, they were judged, every one of them, according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So the point being that everything in our lives is known to God. Our lives are an open book before God. The entirety of our thoughts and deeds are known to him and will somehow be set before us and him at that moment. Um, Jesus describes this in another place um, in a very affecting passage recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, where he describes this day, the same day in, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, as a day uh, where, uh, as a shepherd, as, as, as he describes it as a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats, one to his left and one to his right. You will recall this. And to those on his right, uh, converted men and women who for the love of Christ gave themselves sacrificially to serve the needs of others. To them, Jesus says, come you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. You did it even as unto me. Well, those on the left who showed nothing so clearly as their as their um, selfish, unconverted hearts. To them, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So, everything is recorded in that first book, which is to say, it is all in the mind of God, everything done and said, good, bad, ugly. And that's really a, a, a fearful thing. But listen, because... Uh, now here is is the gospel, uh, and this is what really saint, sets um, the Lord our God apart. Um, listen to me: wrathful gods are a dime a dozen in false religions of the world. It's just the sort of thing that the guilty imaginations of men comes up with very easily in their heads. And almost every religion that I'm aware of has these sorts of things in them. Um, but the true and living God who reveals himself to us so carefully and deliberately in the Holy Scriptures and in, and in our lives is not to be characterized simply as a wrathful God. He's so much more, much greater, much better than simply that. He's the holy judge of mankind. Yes, that's a fearful truth. But he's also a merciful redeemer, a merciful savior. Uh, look, um, look at the word of God you're holding in your hand. Look at verse 12, Revelation 20, 12. There is another book which is called the book of life. 
in chapter 21. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Its existence is not a secret. This is not some sort of obscure uh, reference in the scriptures. Uh, there are nine different uh, times in the Bible where we read about this Old and New Testament. And it's a record of those who have simply been mercifully saved in this life. It's a testimony and a record of our loving God and Father who sent His beloved Son, the eternal divine Jesus, to redeem us through His own life, giving up His own life his, through His sacrificial death on the, Christ, on the cross. So it's a, it's a list of those who, by the grace of God, have confessed Christ as their Savior and Lord in this life and faithfully followed Him. So while some will be filled with dread and utter hopelessness on that day, there will be a great host of untold millions standing in joyful anticipation because they know that this is their loving Father. And standing with them is their blessed Savior Jesus. And they're not filled with terror. Now, now at last they see Him and He sees them. And that sight... That moment alone pays all. It just pays all. Whatever sorrow you may have in your heart, whatever deep rest, recesses of, of hard things, um, they'll all, there'll be nothing at that moment uh, when you see the Lord Jesus and when He looks at you. Whatever, whatever else may be written in that first book, it counts for nothing at all. Because the grace of God, uh, by the grace of God, their names are found in that second book, uh, that, that book of life. If I can sort of put it a little bit colloquially, colloquially, um, I, I think of it this way. I think of myself even standing before God. And, and here's, here's the devil, if you will, or some record and and, and it's, it's, it's not a good thing. You know, it's all written. It's not good. Um, but, but just then, the Lord Jesus comes and puts his arm around my shoulder and says, Father, you know who this is, don't you? <laughs> and the Father says, of course. Case dismissed. Welcome. It's not going to be like that, is it? But, but you get the idea. It's personal. And it's glorious. Um, and and uh, for that person, uh, um, eternity of heaven is about to begin. And, um, and there's not a lot better that you can say than that. Ultimately, our name appears on that list because of the grace of God alone. Because God calls us um, and calls upon men in every age to throw off the devil. And he does do this. Yes, we, we believe in election, but we also believe that God inexplicably also commands us, doesn't he, to throw off the devil and to repent of our sins and our selfish independence and turn away from our pride and unbelief, to trade our idolatrous uh, uh, hearts for, for new hearts and, and a new life so that our names might be found in the Lamb's book of life. And, and I'm not ashamed to stop and to urge you to check signals uh, with the Lord at this point. The, the purpose of this message is not to shake anyone's confidence uh, that they should regard themselves, uh, have some concern for their place of security in Christ. On the contrary, it should give you a great sense of hope 
and gratitude to God for his inexplicable love. But if there's any question in your mind, if there's any, anyone at all who feels like maybe they've drifted from the Lord, don't mess with God. Uh, pray to him. Tell him that you, you want to be sure your name's found in that book. And, and, and if you lack assurance, don't be ashamed to speak with Pastor Ellis. You know where he sits. You know his phone number. Um, call him up and speak with him and, and pray with him, no matter how young and old you are. Speak with one of the elders. And as if to... Um, as if to emphasize the dire importance of turning in repentance and faith to Christ, Jesus goes on to tell us clearly in verses 15, verse 15, and in several places in the gospel, what will happen to those whose names are not found in the book of life, those who never confessed Christ and been saved during their lifetime on earth. And they'll be thrown, as we read, into this terrible place, this lake of fire. Death and Hades, all those awaiting judgment, including the Satan, will be thrown there along with the beast and the false prophets included. And Jesus uh, lists them in these two chapters together with others noted in Revelation 21, 8. Uh, 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, all liars, their portion, that is to say, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's no way of making that sound inoffensive or, or anything but the terrible, frightening place that, that it, it, it is. And it's forever, and it's for those who are cast into it are forever conscious and suffering. And, and if that sounds unworthy of God to you, if somehow that sounds uh, impossibly harsh, then I think what that, that reaction should cause us to, to do is to strive to understand something of the terrible offense of sin to a holy God and the outrageous work that Christ did for us. The terrible outrage uh, of, of, of this is, the, is, the, is, is not God's wrath, but, but the bald-faced betrayal and rebellion of man and women who are lovingly created in his image and sat under his loving rule and, and, and yet rejected him and, and rejected his rule and his love and his purpose for their lives, turning instead to prideful rebellion, who worst of all turned their sanctimonious noses up at his gracious effort to save them proudly rejecting the sacrifice of his only son and making his name nothing more than a common expletive or curse word. That's how high-handed we, we can be, you see. The judgment of God is really required, moreover, by the holy character of God and the principle and necessity of justice upon which human culture is founded and survived rests upon the certainty of such a day or place. But honestly, I believe that God's overarching purpose in revealing this revelation of God and his coming judgment is that we might be encouraged to be faithful and to be comforted in the knowledge of God's certain justice. Does it appear to you that some people are getting away with, with murder in this life? Uh, have, have you been wronged in this world and perhaps endured and suffered and never seen real justice at all? Um, or do you know people who seem to have just gone scot-free? Well, the psalmist speaks freely of these people. Um, you and I are, 
are called to a hard life as believers. It's not an easy thing to be a Christian. It's an easy thing to be a to, to be a, to follow most false religions. It's just a lot of rules. Keep the rules, and you're okay. <laughs> but but what God calls us to is much harder. We're to forgive others, even our enemies. And we're called to give up our rights and to turn the other cheek when we're struck. And if a man wants to sue us, we're to sue us for we're to give him his tunic and, and give him his, our cloak as well. That's the way Jesus lived. And we're required to live in the same manner. But that does not mean that the wicked or the oppressor or the murderer or the perverted rapist or unrepentant molester will escape judgment. God has raised up judges in the church and civil authorities to bring a measure of justice in this age. But above all, he set a day of unfailing and perfect judgment in the age to come. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And this is where it all happens. In Revelation 19 and 20. This is the end. This is the payment. And it will be perfectly fair and perfectly sufficient. It will be final and satisfactory justice. Now, what does that say to us who have been saved and, 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 and loved by God as we read about the certainty of divine judgment? Well, certainly it urges us to live lives that will bring a good account and a good proof of the grace of God that he's favored us with uh, and, and lives that will bring pleasure to our Lord and Savior. Another thing, it should motivate us to stretch ourselves to, to bring the words of life to unsaved people who, uh, and, and who, who God places in our lives, uh, to, to warn them or gently plead with them and show them the love of Christ and his gospel. Uh, pray for people. If, if you feel you really don't have the courage or wisdom or knowledge to speak of Christ, ask Jesus to help you. That's where to start. Just pray. Ask God to put people in your path and give you such a, a deep concern and sympathy and warm love for them that you'll, you'll stammer out something that will set them on the right path. Well, to conclude, in the last two chapters, which will be coming to soon, of Revelation, God will show us heaven. And it will be a great pleasure to turn to those lovely con concluding verses um, maybe the best verses in the Bible. But tonight, God has truly shown us some last things that need, that, that, that need to happen and that will happen that we do need to hear and know about. Uh, we see a picture of the last day that points us to God's great mercy. That mercy is for you. There's a picture of the last battle uh, that points to his glorious victory. That victory is for you. And now, tonight, a picture of the last judgment, which points us to his dreadful, perfect, and most blessed judgment. And that's for us, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have um, this hope of Christ as we read these uh, solemn words that are, are, are harsh words, it seems to us, uh, hard words. Uh, we look in our own hearts and see how worthy we are, unworthy we are to, uh, to be counted among those who um, belong to you. And yet all is grace, Lord. We, we, we just recognize your mercies and we bless you and thank you that you are uh, so much bigger than we could imagine. That your son came to give us life and change us and give us a new attitude and new eyes.
Father, we, we pray that knowing that um, there is another side, there is a judgment day, that we will be encouraged um, uh, to follow you faithfully and that we will be encouraged to um, share however we may with others. Lord, we thank you for this revelation that we needed to hear and we ask your blessing upon it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.